You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Doctor's Lounge, Karuchek, your host. Good to be with you today, together with my co-host on Alternating Weeks, Dr. Hal Schertz. We bring you the very best in healthcare policy chat radio. Uh, the Doctor's Lounge is presented every Thursday morning on America's Web Radio. We are grateful for their support and fellowship and sponsorship. Um, we are d- uh, delighted uh, at this point in the history of the uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation um, that uh, interesting things are happening. Uh, the past several months, maybe even longer than that, have have witnessed a bit of a shift um, in emphasis. You remember when we started this effort as a foundation uh, now well over three years ago, um, we sort of had three or four different uh, uh, issues, uh, talking points, if you would. Uh, those being direct uh, primary care, um, medical malpractice reform, uh, what I do, the health information technology piece, certificate of need, uh, and those all roughly had equal weighting as we began this. And then as, as you see what issues get traction and what issues don't, I, th- I think a pattern has emerged and, and that direct primary care has become by far and away the most uh, important thing uh, that I think we're doing. And I think that part of that comes from the realization that uh, that the basic paradigm has changed. When, when we began this, our, our goal was to uh, have physicians have a, a bigger influence on uh, on government policy, on, on healthcare policy, because you know we as physicians had, had abdicated our right over the past several decades uh, to be a voice at the table, and we thought, okay, you know, this foundation is going to bring physicians to the table in Washington, D.C. as a voice. And, and that's still a, a valid uh, approach to some extent. But I think what we've learned, especially with, you know, what was supposed to be the dream team uh, in Washington with, you know, a White House and both houses of Congress that should be more open-minded to the the best approach to health care, you know, we've found that, that nothing's happening. And so this has really pushed the emphasis to say, look, we need to do this without major help from the government. This is going to have to be a grassroots thing. This is going to have to be something that doctors and patients do. And that's what direct primary care is. Remember, direct primary care is not concierge care. This is a way for anybody, regardless of income, because it's so inexpensive, to get access to a primary physician at the same level as everybody else. You know, up to 25 visits a year, routine labs, routine care, that kind of thing, for basically the price of a cell phone. Right, fifty to seventy-five, maybe eighty, ninety dollars a month for an individual, and between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars a month for a family of four. Right, puts you in contact with a primary physician uh, at, at you know practically a tenth of the cost, and 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 so that issue has become the one that that adapts itself the best to what we're facing in the social political climate. So you know, an interesting uh, change, and, and uh, in that spirit. Uh, We will continue to bring you over uh, this month um, more interviews from some of the leaders in the direct primary care movement and some of their incredibly inspiring stories. And if you heard my show from a couple of weeks ago, we began the series. We'll have three shows, six interviews, and um, they're really inspiring stories 
to here. Uh, we're also uh, got some other neat stuff going on. I know last week you heard uh, uh, the uh, the Hit Nation rollout. Uh, this is a new company that is uh, based in Atlanta that is going to do direct primary care uh, and take this a step farther by bringing specialty care into the model and bringing a the catastrophic wraparound, right? Because those are the three basic parts. If you're going to get all of your health care in a DPC model, then you need all three parts because that way you are covered for whatever health care event may come your way in the course of your life. So in that spirit, Dr. Hal had uh, Will Hall the CEO of Hip Nation on last week to uh, discuss how that whole model works and how the rollout looks like, et cetera, et cetera. We do have other neat stuff going on as well. Um, tomorrow, well, actually, it's, uh, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but but on November 7th, um, I will be on a panel at the largest healthcare IT meeting in the Southeast called the Health IT Leadership Summit. I'm going to be on the first panel following the keynote, uh, which, <clears throat> which the title is Moving from fee-for-service to value, right, this whole cliche, moving from volume to value, what works and what doesn't. And I will be sharing the stage with uh, two, three other individuals, two of whom are uh, C-suite executives from major healthcare systems in the Atlanta area, Uh, some pretty big names, some pretty heavy hitters. So it promises to be very interesting, and I have been uh, spending uh, the last couple of days kind of boning up on my facts and figures so that I can uh, support my arguments, uh, which I suspect will be a very different point of view from the hospital CEO or COO arguments. So before we get into the interviews, I'll share just a thumbnail sketch of of some of the facts uh, in in sort of the updated argument against this entire volume-to-value movement. So some very interesting uh, things, you know, one of which is that, you know, there's an underlying sort of uh, ugly undercurrent beneath the volume to value movement that, that the, the major problem in our healthcare system is the, is the evil overpaid doctors. And so there's some interesting uh, uh, facts and figures for this. What do you suppose the percentage of all of healthcare spending, uh, of all of healthcare spending, what is the percentage that is spent on doctors take home pay? What do you think? 25, 10. Uh, Well, the answer in the United States is 8.6%. That is the percentage of the entire health care spending, some 3.4 or $3.65 trillion, depending on the source you read, roughly $3.5 trillion. So take 8% of that, and that's what we take home. So interesting that the the quarterbacks of the entire health care system take home a mere 8% of the total. And you might say, well, how does that compare with other countries? Well, it turns out, it's actually right on par, right? Canada's number is 8.7%, very slightly higher perhaps. The UK, right, the you know, place where the National Health Service is, the, the, the system that people love, is actually higher at 9.7%. Now, that's, again, in all fairness and all, uh, you know, objectivity regarding statistics, that's, in the case of Canada and the UK, 8 or 9% of a smaller number. But the point is how things are proportioned sort of reflects what's going on. France is higher at 11% and Germany's at 15%. Interestingly, I just came across a uh, Twitter post uh, which included the parent document. So this is not propaganda. This is truth. Um, that uh, in some parts of Canada, the current weight for a neurologist, should you need one, is a whopping 4.5 years. And that's not some 
bizarre statistical estimate. This isn't some Rand Corporation type high level predict the weather 10 years from now sort of thing. This is a piece of paper with the names blotted out, of course, sent to a primary care physician in Canada that says we've received your request for a neurology referral for patient X, uh, whatever that is. Your weight is, and it was written in the blank by a human being, presumably, of 4.5 years. So that's as real as it gets. Uh, and and uh, this just the statistics go on and on. Do you, here's another one for you. How how many administrators per doctor do you think we have in the United States? For every doctor, how many administrators do you think we have? Turns out the number is ten. So docs in the audience, when you go to work tomorrow today, um, realize that you're not only supporting yourself, but you're supporting ten administrators uh, because not only do you have to answer to them. The entire concept of that's ridiculous. Uh, but you also have to work hard enough to generate enough money to pay their salaries because, of course, you know, the only point of entry in the system um, for money into healthcare is when a, a physician touches a patient and generates a charge and refers that patient somewhere else and in turn generates a charge. That all starts with doctor patient contact. So, uh, you know, if you wanted some, you know, bright spot in your day, uh, there it is. And so we say, okay, if it isn't, if it isn't doctor spending, which so many would have you believe, what is it? What's the, what's the cost of those 10 administrators per physician uh, in the United States? So I've got some raw numbers here that's interesting, and these are from two different sources, one of which looks at health insurance administration, which I presume is you know, insurance company payroll, and then another study that looks at hospital payroll uh, in terms of what's the cost uh, in terms of percentage of the total. So, so here's the number. So uh, of all of, of health insurance spending, um, uh, here's the numbers. So in, in the United States, health insurance folks spend $600 per person. $600 per capita in the United States goes to administration just in the health insurance sector. They're, they're spending. So look at other numbers, right? We were looking at Canada before. The U.S., the number is $600. In Canada, the number is $150. Canada only spends one-fourth of the money on administration than we spend. So what's the difference between U.S. healthcare spending and Canada healthcare spending? It's not overspending on doctors. It's overspending on administration. Let's look at some other countries. Uh, Germany is also low at 237. France is at 277. Couldn't get numbers for UK. But I do have numbers for the UK on hospital payroll and what they're spending. So again, in the United States, hospitals spend 25% of their total tab or $667. Interesting, uh, close to the figure that health insurance spends. Um, Canada spends $158. So again, those proportions look pretty close and they are different numbers. One is hospital spending, one's insurance company spending. But they both come in the United States upwards past $600 per person and in Canada, only about one-fourth of that. So uh, interestingly, the difference proportionately in healthcare spending between countries that spend a lot and countries that spend less isn't the docs. I mean, it is, I mean, it is a little, again, in all clarity and and, and objectivity regarding the uh, statistics, you're talking about a similar percentage of a greater number. So do docs in the United States get paid more? Yes, they do. But it's not nowhere close compared to the, the, the massive difference in administrative spending between the U.S. that spends lots of money on health care and other countries that don't. 
So that's sort of some of the numbers that I'm going to bring up here in terms of some of the newer um, uh, updates to the argument against a value in healthcare. So, you know, we'll see how, how that goes. We also have some numbers, and, and you've probably heard these before. These aren't quite as new. Um, that a, a review, uh, uh, an author in the Harvard Business Review back a couple of years ago looked at the healthcare workforce from 1990 to 2012 and found that in those, you know, 22 years that the, the size of the healthcare workforce went up by 75%. Well, no surprise there. The interesting thing is that 95% of all new hires were not physicians. Right, they're still we're, we're hiring 19 non-physicians to every physician, uh, and so you know once again you see this massive growth in admin. It's kind of like when you drive by the road crew that's fixing a pothole in the road, and you see one guy digging and everybody else standing around, and you go, "Yeah, that's government work." You know, one person working and ten people watching. Well, guess what? That's exactly what we have in healthcare. When you figure there's one doctor per 10 administrators, we got one person digging and everybody else standing in watch there dig the hole. You're listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Karuchek, your host. Good to be with you again today here on the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. So as we promised, uh, sorry I took up the entire first segment just yakking, but we had some some interesting material to share. So we're going to go into what we promised you, which is uh, interviews from the direct primary care meeting in Orlando. So uh, I did too much talking last time. I'm going to stop talking now. Uh, here is uh, the first interview with uh, Dr. Kim Korba. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. We are here at the Docs for Patient Care meeting in uh, beautiful Orlando, Florida, uh, and continuing our mission of getting folks individual stories uh, of how they came from just living a regular life as a primary doc and, and uh, becoming a direct primary care doc and what that transition looks like, because I think that's a very important thing for us to uh, begin to understand. So we have Dr. Kimberly Corba, who is a family doctor not far from where I grew up in Lehigh uh, Valley in Pennsylvania. Um, and she has made a transition from a 
shall we say, sort of a standard type insurance driven primary care practice uh, into a direct primary care practice. So I'm just going to give the microphone to Kim and let her tell her story of how that happened. Hi, uh, thank you very much, Mike, for having me on the show. So um, we'll go back historically to the beginning. I opened a fee-for-service private practice in 2003. I think I entered the market to do this probably right at the last moment when when doctors could still hang out a shingle um, before a lot of the regulation became an issue. And slowly, over 13 years, I built that practice to about a, a panel of about 2,500 patients, which is about standard for uh, one family physician, and it remained independent. Um, the way I remained independent is as the regulatory burdens got thrown at us, we would tackle one at a time and come up with strategies in the office to make sure we were meeting all the, the compliance issues and the data collection, and we were trying to do everything we could, bend over backwards to capture every extra we could uh, participating with their quality measures and um, of course my overhead went up and the time I was spending and my staff was spending on administrative issues went up and I saw um, I actually did an analysis right before I decided to switch to DPC I actually sat down and really went over my books since two Going back to 2007, between 2007 and 2013, my collectibles had only gone up 5%. And I was working harder, seeing patients faster, spending less time with them, dealing more with regulations and, and quality metrics. And I wasn't getting re- – I was rating very highly with the insurers in my area. Um, and I wasn't seeing a return on that. So I looked at the whole situation. I said, okay, I'm spending more time working it's cutting into my patient qual- in my patient care and um, nothing's getting better. I'm not, they're not reimbursing me for the extra work I'm doing and saving them money and, and showing them my quality. And it's not allowing me to spend the time I should with my patients is cutting into that time. So it was a lose-lose situation on both ends. Cutting into your personal time too, no doubt. Yes, cutting into my personal time too, and it was—it's interesting because my husband's a physician still in the fee-for-service system. We're both—we were both bringing work home at night, starting you know to do that at the same point. Um, so it was affecting both of us. But uh, yeah, so I looked at the whole picture. I'm like, what am I doing? What is this? What I'm—I want to take care of my patients. That's my number one goal. Uh, I don't want to save the insurance company money. I don't want to, I don't want to make money for the insurance by participating. Their quality wasn't changing what I was doing in my office as far as care. Uh, I already gave good care in my office. I didn't need to prove that to the insurance companies. And, um, so, and in order to, to still collect my $50, you know, a visit, I'm not, it was, it was ridiculous. It was a complete waste of time. So I decided to convert the practice, which was a scary thing because I had, I always called it my third child. It was the third child I didn't, I never had. I have two kids. Um, it was, in my practice was my third child and I was taking this third child and something I worked so long and so hard and built up from zero patients. I was going to literally blow it up by switching to DPC. I knew patients weren't going to follow me. I knew some would. I knew it was going to be difficult. I was the first one in the area to do DPC, so it was going to be a huge community education process. Uh, and it was. But I felt that in order to stick to my core values, which is 
taking good care of my patients and um, not having them rush through the office, keeping my overhead as low as possible, that I'd be able to provide that small family practice atmosphere again through direct primary care. And I loved getting the insurance companies out of the exam room. Um, just the even the prios and the denials of care uh, are are absolutely ridiculous. So, I I went ahead and I took the leap and um, converted my practice on Jan- in January of 2016, and it's been great. It's been really good. Uh, it hasn't been easy. This is not an easy process, but it is more rewarding, and in that way, it makes it easier. So. Unlike some folks that I've heard about that kind of hybridized their practice and had an insurance side and a DPC side, you went all in on the DPC January 1, 2016. It was cold turkey. It was a cold turkey transition. And how did did you keep your office? Did you keep your staff? So what I did, I kept my logo and I changed it from Green Hills Family Healthcare to Green Hills Direct Family Care, but kept the logo the same. So the branding was still there and I kept the word Green Hills. Um, my staff stayed the same and, um, I did, I repainted the walls and got new carpeting. So just changed the interior a little bit, uh, just to, you know, just kind of spruce it up again and, um, just kind of give it a new feeling when it walked in because we were a new type of office. But I just kept enough the same that people were still comfortable knowing that it was still us there. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And, and that had to be – I mean I'm thinking about questions that other people think – trying to follow your footsteps. I mean that had to be a little scary the first few months when I imagine your appointment book wasn't exactly full. Yeah, it was scary. Um, it was scary the first few months. One of the most important things I can say, I wrote a script for my staff after the first eight weeks and I heard them fumbling on the phone. Um, and it wasn't their fault. It was because they didn't understand uh, the model. They understood the model, but not well enough to really explain it to people when they threw questions at them. So I literally wrote a script for all the possible insurance scenarios that are out there that they needed to follow. And they did. They kept it at the front desk. Doug Farrago put it in his book as an appendix last year. Um, yeah. And uh, it really helped. So... That was, was that was scary what because they I said th- when there was a, somebody I, calling up asking about yeah, your practice. I think there was a few people that may have been shown more interest or had come in for the meet and greet had it been explained a little bit better. But again, it's not their fault. It's a new model. It's a it's a paradigm shift. Um, people say, "Well, what do you mean you don't accept insurance?" Well, we don't. Like even the staff and the people on the inside have a hard time wrapping their brain around that never mind on the outside so slowly they got better with their with their interpretation um of you know and they're answering the questions when people called and um we did miss a, a couple i think in the beginning but hopefully you know they'll call back and i'm not too worried about it but yes that stress level was high um and if that was one of the reasons there was you know on multiple levels that you're worried about your income and you got to pay your overhead uh, so a lot of the DPC docs will moonlight in the beginning, which I do do. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I do it now because I like it, actually. I do disability and benefits um, exams for veterans, oh, that's nice. which I love, love doing. And I've always wanted to do it. And now I have the time on top of it to do it. Yeah, I really enjoy so it. Have you reached a point now where approaching two years 
um, are you at a, at a volume that that the practice is ready to self sustain or how close? Yeah, we were we are self sustaining. How long did that take? It took uh, it took about nine months, and we are self sustaining now. Uh, I did cap it right now at three hundred patients. I, I didn't in the beginning. I wanted to cap it more around four or four fifty, but it turns out the type of patients we're getting are people who have ignored their health care or uh, not ignored it in a bad way, but um, have not gone for for regular routine follow up because of the cost of their health care, their deductibles are through the roof and they just don't want to pay for their deductibles. I have a third of my patients have no insurance. Um, and, and some people, um, just don't want to wait in the doctor's office or wait for the visit. So they just don't go and they could have great insurance. We have people joining us for the access who, are, who are not even looking at the cost savings. They just want, they want to know they can get in. They just want to know they can get in and get me on the phone and not, you know, a million other people who are- which with this model it's practical for you to actually do visits on the phone oh yeah yeah or if they call after hours they're not going to be speaking to a, a an answering service they're getting me oh so that's so you're on call 24 7 in theory but you know people are pretty respectful they understand that you they appreciate that you're making yourself available i can't tell you how many times people call and say i'm so sorry to bother you on the weekend i'm like no that's what this is this is what your monthly membership costs you know if you have a concern you reach out to me but people are generally very good about understanding you know that they can't text you on saturday night about there, um, it's got to be an emergency or about switching. So, so two myths busted there, right? One for doctors, one for patients, right? The patient myth you're busting is you really are, this is the doc 24 seven, which is way better than what an insurance based practice does. And, and the myth busted on the doctor side is that you're not going to get abused constantly. No, no. People are, you know, and what you can do is you can frame it out when they sign up and you say, you know, the after hours is for emergencies only. And we have it in our patient uh, agreement that they know if it's an administrative issue that gets texted or emailed after hours, they need to give us 24 hours to respond. Gotcha. So that kind of, that calls the herd a little bit and they get their, their rules and their boundaries and they respect it and they know we're going to return the call. So they're fine with that. Like even if it's an admin thing, they know we're going to get back to them within 24 hours. So part of this is a mindset thing, right? I mean, it's fewer calls because you don't have insurance hassles, number one. And number two is if they're comfortable that they know you're going to call, then they're not so crazy about having to hear from you. Right. There's no anxiety level because they know we're going to get back to them. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's that's a – This is the model I'm selling. If I don't follow through, I'm not going to have patience. Mm-hmm. I'll see that, and that's just it. That's the alignment of incentives, right there, isn't it? Without a third-party payer involved, is that yeah, you gotta you gotta keep three hundred people happy every month. Yeah. Yes, and that's exactly right because I'm selling a product now. I'm selling a level of service and a level of care, and that's another reason why my my panel's limited at three hundred. My patients um, have a, some of them have a certain level of chronic illness that is taking up more of my time. I feel if I went any higher than three hundred at this point, I wouldn't be able to f- provide that level of care. So another place you've got control that regular docs don't, which is that you can you can put that level right where you want it, mm-hmm. no higher, no lower. Right. So now what were you doing to market in the beginning? Uh, you, you said you were doing some meet and greets and stuff, but I think it's another sort of scary point for, for docs contemplating taking the leap. I spent a lot of time and resources on marketing because I was the first one in the Lehigh Valley area, which is already a, a kind of a slow on the uptake. It can be somewhat narrow-minded area. They don't like change. Um, a lot of people don't like uh, people stepping outside the box. And so I knew I was gonna, it was going to be an uphill battle to market it. 
Um, so I wrote as many articles as I could. Um, I went out and talked to groups, to rotary groups. Um, uh, you know, I got invited here and there, which was great. <clears throat> I did a lot of social media. Social media was very, very productive. Oh, in, in details on that, because that's another point. I bet people are just sort of uncomfortable. Like, okay, social media, now what? Well, I, I advertised, like I would use case studies on my Green Hills Facebook page. And I would boost some of them. We are coming up on the end of the segment. Uh, we will pick up at the next segment. You are listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare. And learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. No musical introduction this segment because my daughter stole my iPad. That's where all of the apps are that do the cart machines and the intros and the outros and all that stuff. So no big deal because, heck, we're just listening to – we're picking up where we left off with the interview with Dr. Kim Corba, an inspiring story of how – Young doctors going into direct primary care uh, dedicate their entire lives, not just their careers, but their entire lives to making this new method, this new model of healthcare delivery work. So picking that up, we backed it up a few seconds. Make sure you don't miss anything. Here we go. People are just sort of uncomfortable, like, okay, social media, now what? Well, I, I advertise, like I would use case studies on my Green Hills Facebook page, and I would boost some of the posts. And um, I also uh, providing good customer service to my existing patients is the best form of advertising you can do. So I'm constantly emailing them. You know, I email them their results um, or I'll check if somebody's sick. I'll send an email two days later. I can set it in the system to go out just following up and checking on your illness to make sure you're better. They love that kind of thing. And that I have time to do that now. And so. personalized care is really what it is. So, do you use an EMR? Yes. Cool, and that's but you don't have to do all of the meaningful use crap and all that other stuff. You just use it to keep notes and communicate. How about do you- I just say the first six months I had to do a mental extraction from that system. I found myself still counting um, bullets on my notes to make sure I met all of the requirements for it to bill a certain. The, all the E and M requirements, right? Yeah, and the um, 
the patient-centered medical homes. I found myself still thinking about all that as I was typing my notes. I had to actually force myself to stop. So, so what do your notes look like now? I mean, do they look like you know the country doctor note from decades past with just everything you need, nothing you don't? Or yeah. tell us what you're doing. I, no, my notes are very complete. I grew I grew up <laughs> in a residency in Philadelphia, so we were taught to write very thorough notes because it's a litigious uh, environment down there. And um, I'm very thorough too because I want to be able to look back in the note or have another provider who's in the if somebody's covering me while I'm away, I want them to look at the note and know exactly what's going on. And I want to be able to look back and know, so know exactly what's going on. So I am very thorough about my notes, but um, they are. What are you not doing now that you used to do? You said you had to do a mental extraction. I don't have to do like review of systems, although I do mention it. I don't have to say um, past medical history, past surgical family history, all checked and no changes. I don't have to do any of that. So it's really great. All right. Yeah, it's funny. The review system is always the thing I sort of key on. It's like the, just like we heard earlier today with speakers, is this kind of the poster child for the thing that, you know, we were trained, right? If there's something we need to ask, we got trained to know when to ask. Yeah. So, interesting. Okay. It's funny because my medical students, I give them examples when they first start with me of five different templates for a soap note. Um, a basic soap note. And they, they look at me. I said, your, your progress note is blank. It's it's a note. It's a clear palette. You can create your own soap note, but here's some guidelines to follow. <coughs> Excuse me. It's almost like they don't know what to do with that. A blank sheet of paper is terrifying. Well, they've never been given that freedom to be creative in writing their soap note. Wow. Yeah, I don't think they get that they that kind of training now. They don't. they don't. It's it's a shame. They're really being told to swim in the lane and not to veer out of the lane at all. And medicine is an art. It's not, it's not just a science. It's a combination of both. When you, these, you know, everything's pigeonholed and you're told to do this X, Y, and Z, you're, you're squelching that art. You're, you're pressing, you're, you're forcing that art component to go away. And, um, nothing's black and white in medicine. Everything's gray. And you've got to be the one to, to really figure it out what that gray zone is. So what would you say to somebody if they were sitting here, if I was a primary doc thinking, I'm thinking about taking this leap, what would you tell me? Um, I would tell you to con- to see if there's a DPC doctor in your area. That would be the first thing. Contact them, call them, follow them around in the office, make sure it's something you like and that you'd be interested in. And then the next step would be to go to one of the resources like Josh Umber's. Um, it got a great startup list. Um, and look that over. And you have a guide. I have a guide. I do. I have a guide. <laughs> Yes, I just released it a few weeks ago. It's um, because I was in practice for 13 years by myself. Um, you know, you're out there alone by yourself. You don't have a big administration um, supporting you like you do if you're an employed physician. I had to make sure I was in compliance. I had to do my own HIPAA or find a consultant to do it, my own OSHA, my own CLIA, my own CDC. Uh, my, you know, my intra-office workflow had to be uh, compliant with best practices from a malpractice standpoint. And uh, when you're working with limited staff and you have to be as efficient as possible to keep your overhead low when you're in private practice, you, you know, all of my systems had to be pretty airtight. So having done that for 13 years and then converting to direct primary care, I pulled everything out and started looking over and rewording a few things to be in, in conjunction with the way the practice was now running. The internal workflow changed in DPC versus fee-for-service, so I had to rewrite some of the internal workflow. And that's all in the guide, right? All in the guide. So what that did, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was I, you know, I came up with an idea. There was a lot of questions on the social media groups and, and new startups about policies and i thought you know i've spent a ton of money on on compliance specialists and lawyers um 
working on this on my policies and procedures. So I was going to package it all together and sell it, make it very affordable for these new practices so they can spend more time advertising and building their practices than on this stuff. Because you could spend hours searching up CDC policy, writing a fire and evacuation procedure, um, writing a medical emergency procedure. Now, all of those are required by OSHA. So if you get inspected by OSHA, they want to see that kind of stuff. Um, so really it's, and there's employee law and there's an employee binder for anybody who wants to hire employees. That was written by an employee attorney. Um, Dennis Hirsch from Pennsylvania Medical Society over, proofread the entire thing for me to make sure everything's good from a legal standpoint. And, um, so I put it out there. So how do people get it? Uh, people can buy it online, uh, through our website, www.dpcmanual.com. Um, and it's a digital download. They're all, uh, they're all, uh, the, all the documents can be downloaded in Word and edited to your liking or to your office. Can be edited however. All the suggested policy manual stuff. <clears throat> Everything. Yep. So it's beautiful. Fantastic. Dr. Kim Corbett, tell us about her adventures in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, converting from regular insurance to direct primary care. Thanks so much. Thank Okay, so the end of the interview with Kim Corba. So, again, you're hearing some great adventures about how these folks are really devoting their entire lives uh, to making this model work at, at tremendous personal risk and tremendous career risk. Uh, so next up is going to be Josh Umber, and uh, you all know who he is. Uh, he is, uh, you know, the, the media superstar of direct primary care. He's been on national radio talk shows routinely, on television routinely. So uh, you'll get a very different uh, experience uh, from him, and we'll start that interview right now. Our speakers and some of our other folks that have truly unique uh, stories to share regarding their journey in direct primary care. So with me now is Dr. Josh Umber, which if you listen to the radio at all or are exposed to media in any way, you know that uh, as the leader of Atlas MD, he has been the leading national face for this movement so uh, i'm just going to give the microphone to him because he knows what he's doing with this better than i do and just uh share his thoughts about his adventures to this point and where you think it's all going and whatever else you want well with an introduction like that there's not much else i have to do no thank you very much i'm happy to be part of the show yeah uh, so uh, it's exciting. It was a great conference. Doctors for Patient Care did another home run, uh, and everyone showed up, uh, over 250 doctors. Uh, the speakers were all just amazing. And I think uh, talking with some of the doctors who are in attendance, it's a very different feel from last year. Last year it was a lot of doctors who were at the the very beginning information stage, very fearful of change, worried about what happens if they stay in insurance, but very timid about opening their own practice. And this year, it was a, a much more confident vibe. It was doctors empowered to move into DPC, already kind of educated on it, so they had better questions or knew what direction they wanted to go to. So you can see an evolution from last conference to this conference, which is really very encouraging. Yeah. I agree with you. I've heard a couple of sentiments that are very similar to that, Josh. The other one I heard was that uh, this has been a great meeting for docs who are frustrated and depressed to feel like they're not alone. And that, you know, they're in the, when they go and they talk to their local hospitals or whoever, you know, whatever their support system is in their hometown, they're feeling very kind of empty and depressed and alone. And then they come to a place like this and realize, hey, this is not the case and that there's lots of people feeling like that. So... 
Yeah, Seth Godin, uh, his book, The Tribe, I think everybody wants to be part of a tribe. And you come here and you see that these doctors are excited. They're happy. They love life. They love their patients. They're uh, motivated to see what the future holds. And it's not just the technical business legal information they get, but to hear that they are part of a community and to be reinforced and and uh, embraced like that is so different than what they're getting in the hospital meetings the board meetings the macra the well you're burnt out but we don't really have a solution for you so here's some more paperwork type meetings um i think there's a, a lot of batteries being recharged this weekend Agreed. I, it's, I had to laugh. Somebody said that, you know, their, their, their hospitals, you know, answer to the burnout problem was, you know, here's a membership to the gym, you know, or something like that. And then this is kind of what even our own at the, at the head of, you know, most or, you know, branches of organized medicine, be it the AAFP or, you know, other specialties, including my own, uh, that, that are, and so it's good to sort of get that, that synergy. So Josh, tell us a little bit about, I mean, what, what's the experience been like? being the figurehead in a lot of ways, you know, at least in some parts of the media. I mean, that has to have the good parts and the bad parts and the unexpected parts or uh, just give us thoughts. Well, as long as I go back home, uh, everybody knocks my ego back down to normal there. So that's the best part about having a, a family. Um, I don't know. So it's, it's a wild ride. We started off, I was always the crazy pre-med student, uh, medical student, resident who had a, a wild idea and few wanted to follow. And it's nice that other people are crazy too. And each year more people were passionate about something enough to risk something and so it naturally became a very exciting group to work with and and that's snowballed because we did what should come very obvious we put patients first we we asked a great why and if we we ask why are we doing what we're doing for our patients how can we make their lives better all the answers seem to fall in place uh, so we generated a lot of momentum off that. And now, uh, yeah, to get national media attention, but lots of doctors get national media attention. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy to say I don't think it's me. I think it's the movement. It's the value. It's the model. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate to get to have the opportunity to speak about it. Um, and then my phones, I think my nurses hate it just because now they're answering phone calls constantly. Um uh, Poor Phil Eskew, uh, we got tired of trying to spell DPC Frontier to everyone who called, so we, he, he graciously let us shorten it to our own website, so uh, to be atlas.md slash map, um, and then people kept typing in maps, so we've added maps to that, and now anything you type after the dot com slash will just take you to Phil's website, uh, to keep it simple, but, uh, then that, that snowball continues to grow, and, and we'll tell him, say, tell him Atlas says hi, and now we know that, from you know Sean to us to a doctor, patients are being connected all over the country, uh, and they respond well because it's something that they can understand. That you say, okay, you're making something expensive affordable. Okay, we're going to fade out right here. We're at the end of the segment. We'll pick it up in segment four. You're listening to the Doctors Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
Obamacare is failing, but in order to get back on the right track with health policy, people need to be informed. Obamacarewatch.org is your resource to understand what's happening with this law and what you can do to stay active, stay informed, and make positive change happen. Obamacarewatch.org. Visit us now. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. Career Check with you. Glad you can spend some time with us here. Uh, as you can hear, we got the intro music back because I stole the iPad back from my daughter, Margaret. So... Hopefully we can hang on to that for a while. But uh, anyhow, we are listening to uh, a series of interviews uh, that came from the Director of Primary Care, Direct Primary Care meeting uh, that occurred last month in Orlando. So we were in the middle of the interview with Josh Umber, which if you keep track of the media, you know who he is. Uh, so we're just going to go ahead and uh, and get right back into it. Here we go. I'm very fortunate to get to have the opportunity to speak about it. Um, and then my phones, I think my nurses hate it just because now they're answering phone calls constantly. Um, poor Phil Eskew, uh, we got tired of trying to spell DPC Frontier to everyone who called. So we, he, he graciously let us shorten it to our own website uh, to be atlas.md slash map. Um, and then people kept typing in maps. So we've added maps to that. Now anything you type after the dot com slash will just take you to Phil's website uh, to keep it simple. But uh, then that, that snowball continues to grow and and we'll tell them say tell them atlas says hi and now we know that from you know sean to us to a doctor patients are being connected all over the country uh and they respond well because it's something that they can understand that you say okay you're making something expensive affordable you're making something hard easy you're you're simplifying my life it and it does doesn't have to get more complicated than that for a patient and if you give them a better product they respond really well uh and i think that's just a truism uh so it's fun to have my thumb on the pulse of that so closely it's an honor so where do you think it needs to go? I mean, is the is the view from sort of the top down that more so than than the rest of us have? You know, if if you were flying the plane all by itself, where would you take it? Boy, um, at, at at risk of having uh, delusions, uh, grandeur here, uh, I I really do think that in the next several years, maybe five years, direct primary care will be uh, the predominant model for providing primary care and outpatient care across specialties. That might be a little grandiose. Maybe it'll take 10 years, uh, but I think we've seen with other technology that a uh, better product is adopted very quickly. And it takes 10 years to be an overnight success, and I think we're at year eight-ish, uh, depending where you start. So that if insurance goes up, what, 71% is projected in Florida? Uh, the, it has to break. That's not, it's not good for insurance companies. It's not good for the government. It's not good for jobs. It's not good for patients. It's definitely not good for doctors. 
so people won't stay in that broken system for much longer when they continue to see a better alternative and and the snowball does just grow with every month and um, I think it's not unreasonable to have a hundred or two hundred thousand primary care doctors doing this model and, and boy how much of the ecosystem will change after that because primary care family medicine pediatrics internists are at the kind of the heart of the movement and then if there is a community that follows that of doctors and patients, there'll be entire industries that'll pop up to serve those needs. Digital consults for specialists, um, easier pricing for meds and labs, more consumer products to measure home uh, health at home. And, and we'll see a change that used to be held back by whether or not there was a CPT code for it, now we will move at the speed of innovation, at the speed of business. Uh, I think the, the next 10 years in medicine will be more interesting than the last 50 because uh, it will be empowering for doctors. It will be uh, empowered by technology, by artificial intelligence, by a better marketplace, uh, hopefully, presumably, by less regulation. So I, I see all kinds of uh, amazing things going forward. I don't think there's any delusions of grandeur there at all, Josh. I totally agree with you. And, and I'm not a primary care doc. You know, I, I just like doing this like Hal does. And, uh, you know, I mean, the other big thing that's happening is Medicare is going to hit a brick wall in 10 years, right? I mean, the, 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 that's, that's going to be another, you know, it's going to be a push-pull, right? Direct primary care is going to show the value and the, the government's regulatory environment. And we see the total... In inability, right? Partisan ineptitude of Congress to, to fix anything. And so we're going to be, you guys are going to be more and more attractive, not only because of the good stuff you're doing, but the bad stuff or the failure to act that they have, you think, no? I, it's so funny. If, if one DPC doc fails, they worry if the movement will fail. Um, but it's, it's the, the Medicare ship is sinking. That doesn't mean we don't like ships. We just we will get a better ship, and, and as that one is sinking, the the deeper in the water it goes, the the louder the demand for a solution for a new ship, and and DPC is that new ship. It's going to come along and very easily rescue all the people from one thing that isn't working onto something that is. Uh, that transition won't have to be painful, and and. But I don't think people would get off of one ship if they didn't have to. Is it? There's times in in the consumer business cycle where change needs to be forced. In a way, uh, you have to leave a, a bad product, and, and the status of the momentum the momentum of the status quo is real. And people don't necessarily like change if if that doesn't seem like a good thing. But they'll very quickly embrace it if that change feels like a, a much better thing. So as that Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid ship sinks, um, we have the solution to come right up there and, and, and swap it. Lifeboats are ready and waiting. Yeah, no, totally agree. I, I think this is something that's going to – and I think you hit on something else that nobody else has hit upon before, um, which I'm going to remember for a future engagement, which is that as this grows, there are going to be industries that want to serve – direct primary care as it becomes a big enough physician customer base for supportive products, right? Right now, it's all about macro and MIPS, and everybody wants to be a consultant for all these regulatory-based things. We get a critical mass, and that part of the equation is going to shift as well. 
Well, and, and the proof is right there because a whole industry of macro and MIP stuff pops up overnight to help doctors navigate those waters. So even before you know the, the ink is dry on the regulation, there's some you know, a conference or consultant or book or service to help you navigate those waters uh, be, because there's a need. And, and there just won't be a need for that anymore, but there will be an industry ready and willing to serve doctors and patients, um, and, and that free market way will, will be so efficient, so much faster. Now, in, in a month, I'm going to be on a panel that's, that's on quality in medicine. It, it's something in Atlanta called the Health IT Leadership Summit. But I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to, I'm going to shamelessly steal your idea. Tell them it was yours. And, and absolutely tell them I thought it up all by myself. It did not come from Josh Umber. You don't know who he is, but he didn't come from him. And, uh, and, and challenge these IT people and say, look, you want, you want to really be on the cusp? Cause they like to call themselves, right? You know, to be on the bleeding edge. You want to be on the bleeding edge? Come try this and, 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 and support this. Um, anything else? I think we're good. Josh Umber, he's, uh, you know, leader of this field. It's a pleasure and a privilege to talk to you. So thanks so much. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. It was a pleasure and a privilege to talk to these folks. Uh, I am delighted to be able to bring these to you through the Doctors' Lounge and the Doctors' Patient Care Foundation. We have about four minutes left in this last segment, so I am going to tee up uh, probably uh, Dr. Pinckney's interview that we played a couple of weeks ago and just give you kind of the, the lead on that to fill out the hour. And then the next time it is my turn, uh, we're going to have two uh, more interviews, one from uh, Vince Lassie and one from Jody Carroll. But that will be two weeks from now. Um, for now, I'm going to queue up uh, a little bit of, um, of uh, Dr. Pinckney's interview, and we'll fill out the hour with that. Here we go. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, I, I am um – my name, again, is, is James Pinckney. My clients call me Dr. James, and I am the CEO and founder of Diamond Physicians. I actually started the group uh, back in 2012. So uh, we were one of the early adopters, and the, the climate and the atmosphere around DPC has completely changed over the, next, over the last five years, and it's, it's unbelievable. The movement is it's, it's full of excitement. There's 250 doctors here. You can feel the energy. It's palpable in the room, uh, and it's just amazing to see where we've come and how far we've come. Uh, so back in uh, 2008, it's actually when I had the idea to uh, change from general surgery to family medicine and pursue uh, a DPC career. Uh, and back then it wasn't DPC. I was calling it membership medicine or affordable concierge. Uh, and I wanted to really create a model that was available for everyone and not just the super wealthy. So I uh, switched from Gen Surge at Cedar sinai in L.A. to uh, family medicine at Methodist back at Dallas. Uh, I'm from Dallas originally and uh, started the practice right out of residency. So I, I was moonlighting in the ER for a few years to build some capital. I uh, ended up going to nine different banks with my business plan. Uh, everyone loved the idea, uh, but no one wanted to finance the project. So I got nine no's, and the same day I actually met my future wife, I got two yeses from two different banks. There's a sign. So that was a great day. Um, received funding and uh, decided to open the practice from scratch, an organic practice. And uh, then I found out about other DPC docs around the country that were doing the same thing and kind of gave me affirmation that I wasn't crazy, that this idea uh, was something that could be scaled and was something that was the, 
the efficient, more efficient model of the future. And we started with uh, zero patients, myself and uh, my business partner, Dr. Anthony Lissy. And uh, the first two years was were very rough. It was rocky. It was challenging. We had this great idea, what we thought was a great idea. And the patients weren't just, they weren't flooding to our doors. It was very slow. It was a trickle. Uh, and then about 18 months into the venture, we uh, we were able to lock down a, a national Vistaprint commercial. I don't know if you ever saw it, but in um, we shot it in the fall of 2013. It aired in April 2014, and tens of millions of people across the country saw this commercial, and the phone lines just exploded. Really? And we started signing clients cold leads straight from the Vistaprint commercial. They would call in and they saw the commercial. They went to our website and were signing up. Uh, then we had a front page of Dallas Morning News. They did an article on our practice. 700,000 readers saw that. Top fold on a Sunday morning. And again, the phone lines exploded. And that really gave us our jump start that we desperately needed. And we took that and we ran with it. And we decided that we were going to franchise the model. Uh, and we took all of our procedures and our operations and we put them into a beautiful uh, protocol system that's virtual. Uh, and that way we could actually have a turnkey operation and could scale quickly. So now at this point in 2017, we have four locations across the DFW Metroplex. We have seven physicians and just under 2,000 clients. We call them clients, not patients. Uh, and it's been a wonderful ride. That's incredible. There's a couple of points of the story I want you to build on. Okay, I'm going to take that down right now because we are 25 seconds from the end of the hour. Uh, if you would like to hear Dr. James Pinckney's complete interview, go back one show, um, actually two weeks, back to my last show, and you can hear the entire interview, and I definitely recommend it. It was a pleasure and privilege to talk to him, very inspiring. Uh, but we are done for now. More interviews in two weeks. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Thanks so much. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. 